one, Weatherlight, Gerard's Tale by Michael Ryan. The morning the Minotaur arrived, Gerard entered the training yard in time to see Torsten, the heavier boy, bat Yavero's blade aside and drive the smaller boy down to the sand on the other end of the yard. Havera's sword flew from his hand, landing well out of his reach, and Torsten moved over him, between him and his weapon. Both young men were breathing hard under the blazing sun. Torsten's blonde hair was dark with sweat and grime, and Havero's hands were spotted with sword oil and blisters. Gerard was silently proud of both of them for practicing while the others slacked off. It was still hours before exercises, yet here they were, devoted to the art of war. He remembered that feeling quite well. Good move, he called out as he took his heavy set of keys from the belt below his vest and moved to the war chests along the wall. But you want to... Master! Havero cried out in terror. Torsten kicked Havero once in the head, just above his ear. The sound of his boot heel on the thinner boy's skull made a hollow thock and carried all the way across the open yard before slashing down with his sword at his foe's throat. Havero rolled and the blade cut sand, nicking his ear and drawing blood. Torsten stepped back, regaining his balance and bringing his sword back to attack position as Havero struggled to get to his feet. Blood bubbled from his wounded ear. It's too late. He can't save you, Torsten said, raising his sword again. He glanced across the training yard toward Gerard. No one can save! The keys caught Torsten in the throat like a claw, tearing open the soft spot of flesh beneath his Adam's apple. He staggered backward, one hand to his bleeding wound. Easy, Torsten, Gerard called. From nowhere, he had produced a longbow, and an arrow was already knocked on string and aimed at Torsten. The arrow's point glittered in the sunlight, flooding the training yard. Six steps back or six feet under, whichever you prefer. Torsten looked over at Havero, then back at the arrow pointed at him. Don't make me kill you too, Master Gerard, he rasped. He took his hands away from his throat and looked at the blood on his fingertips. This is a private fight between Havero and me. It's ending publicly, Gerard said with a corpse if need be. I could kill you twice before you could even get to me, Torsten. You're a good student, but education isn't the same thing as experience. You should be quick enough to catch those keys. Now take six steps back. For a moment, Torsten hesitated, sweat beating on his forehead. Then he raised his blade and with a defiant shout, turned on Havero. Gerard dropped his aim and let the arrow fly. It took Torsten just behind the left kneecap as his leg bent, driving through the muscle and carrying the arrowhead and shaft out the other side until the fletching caught in the wound. Torsten howled, falling forward. The shaft snapped behind his legs as he went down. He dropped his sword. As blade knifed into the sand, Havero grabbed its hilt, raising it triumphantly as he stood over the heavier boy. He looked up in time to see Gerard knock another arrow. It'll be the right knee for you, Gerard said. Shameful limp and no service in the Benalish army. It'll change your entire future with one easy shot if you don't put that sword down, Avero. He was talking to Lord Caston, Avero protested. The assassin recruiter, the albino. I saw him together at the bridges this morning. From the ground where he was already working the arrow out of his leg, Torsten snarled, You're a corpse! I don't care if he is Lord Caston. Gerard began to move forward, his arrow still at the ready. His dark beard itched from the sweat that ran down his face. I could be Lord Caston and wouldn't change this mess you're in. Now put down the sword. Avero relented, tossing the sword into the sand, stepping back afterward. Gerard let his breath out slowly. Great. Now we're all in better shape. 
I'm armed, and you're not. He put his arrow back in his quiver, then picked up both swords. Caston try to recruit you, Torsten? Torsten said nothing, but Gerard held back and let the silence drag on until it became as hot as the sun above. Finally, Havero said nervously, I I've heard that some of the others were approached too, not just Torsten. Lord, Caston will sew your eyes open before he kills you, Torsten snapped at him, then looked at Gerard. I must see a healer, master. You've got it, Gerard said. He held up Torsten's blade. Your sword stays, of course. You're out. You tried to kill Havero. You threatened me, and if I were a gambling man, I bet you took gold from the assassins. It's not what I trained you for, Torsten. It's not what the banalish military is about. You shamed the nation, and you disappointed me. Torsten managed to get his weak leg under him, throwing to the sand the arrow that had struck him. He grimaced as he put weight on the leg and nearly fell. When he found his balance again, he was forced to lean heavily to his right, for the wounded leg refused to carry him. The blood from his throat wound was already drying to a dark red splotch like a birthmark. He glared in fury at Gerard. And there's more disappointment in your future. You're not the only instructor in Benalia who can teach a man to fight, you know. Gerard shrugged. Not the only one who can teach you to dance, either. No one will now. He gestured at Torsten's leg. You're done being a soldier, if you ever wore one. For a moment, Gerard thought the young man might come at him. Torsten's lips locked, his hands clenched into fists, and his eyebrows met in a scowl. Then he swallowed, took a deep breath, and said, But I'm not done being a killer. He limped to the training yard's entrance, never looking back. Gerard watched him go. When he disappeared into the dark tunnel, Gerard turned to Havero. The young man seemed to be having a difficult time catching his breath, but the panic was fading fast from his face. Thank the gods you arrived when you did, he half whispered. I was heard you're one of the best, Master, but I never thought I would so desperately need you to be. Being the best usually means proving it. Gerard walked for his keys, picked them up, turned back to the young man. For Torsten's sake, I hope you're right about all this, and it looks like you are. But for the Banalish army's sake, I hope you're wrong. We have some things to talk about. Havero nodded. A few things, Master Gerard. The two of them retired to Gerard's chambers below the training yard. The three dusty rooms lay in shadows, cluttered with trappings and trinkets from days Gerard had just begun to remember fondly. He watched Havero move around the main chamber, handling various artifacts and weapons and asking questions. The young man had apparently forgotten the heat of the battle despite the blood that trickled from his ear to stain his gold earring. Gerard let him explore. Students never came down here, and Havero's curiosity kept him distanced while Gerard considered the implications of what had just occurred in the yard. And what's this? the young man asked, gesturing to a skin hanging on the wall above a row of shelves. The hide of a skarmathal, Gerard answered absently as he sat down behind his disorganized desk. He wondered if Torsten had gone directly to Lord Caston after the fight. I was traveling with some friends along the coast of Denwa when we ran into him. If you wear the skin, it changes your shape into one so you can pass among the other Skarmathals. Kind of a Skarmathal spy's cloak. Avero nodded, paused as if he might ask something else, then gestured at the pendant around Gerard's neck. I I've seen you with the pendant before. What is that? Gerard held it up and across the desk for him to see. The pendant was shaped like a small hourglass, hung so that it could be upended to run its sands while remaining on the chain. As Vero leaned closer to examine it, Gerard said, Last treasure of a life I abandoned. Vero was about to speak again, but Gerard gestured for him to be silent. This was old soil, 
heavily tilled memories of the weatherlight. Captain Sisse and the legacy were as untouchable as the gods themselves and nearly as unforgiving. They were part of the time Gerard couldn't change and hadn't understood at the time anyway. Regretting it only made him relive it. Besides, there were far more important things to discuss than Gerard's past life as a sailor of the skies. So, Lord Cassian is trying to recruit my soldiers as his bloodletters, he said matter-of-factly. Never mind that such behavior's treason in Benalia. Surely he knows who he's taunting, by even trying. Not exactly known for my diplomatic skills. Every master-at-arms, ranking officer, and infantry judge would raise swords over this if word got out. But Caston is jeopardizing my career with this arrogance. I'm obliged to do something about it, risk my entire life in Benalia. I'll be damned if I learn about a cure after the plague. Averro touched his wounded ear and said, I guess I should have been thinking the same way, Master. Confronting Torsten was a mistake, and now he has a reason to hate me. Yeah, you should have come to me with this, Gerard agreed. We're taking it over my head to Commander Alaric. If I can trust him, you can. But he'll still spit poison when I tell him that the assassins are headhunting in the army's ranks. Yes, sir, I, I know he will. You know he's going to want the names of the others, everyone who Lord Caston's tried to recruit. There'll be an investigation. The, the army has no tolerance for this sort of betrayal. That's why I got into it in the first place, but at least the army will protect you from Torsten and the others, so you won't have to sleep with a dagger under your pillow. Gerard paused, then asked, Who else besides Torsten? He watched Tavera's eyes pan nervously across the room, pausing on each individual heirloom, and he knew that the young man had yet another secret, poorly concealed. If I were a gambling man, I bet you'd been approached, he said softly. Tavera swallowed clearing his throat and keeping his eyes averted, unable or unwilling to meet Gerard's steady gaze. Yes, Master Gerard, but not by Lord Caston. Well, then who? There's this mercenary band of siegebreakers at the docks, Averro answered. They're just passing through Benali. I, I met with their recruiter yesterday, and he told me about their group, where they've been, and... What they've been doing, you know, the adventures that, that happened to mercenaries. Adventure's just another way of saying your day started out badly, Gerard said. No, no, you don't understand. Averro turned abruptly from Gerard's desk, picking up an elaborate rod from the shelf beneath the hide. Gerard watched while Havero held it up as if his master had never seen it before. Our first day of training, you showed this to us. A weapon is only as good as the hand that wields it, you said. And then you fired it. That was amazing, all that magic coming from this little artifact. We were all impressed by both the rod and the wielder. There's a story behind this, yes? Some insane risk you took to find it? Some amazing battle you fought to earn it? And here it is, the treasure that epitomizes that, that whole adventure. Gerard grinned. It's called the Null Rod, Vero. You know why? Because it doesn't do anything. It's all flash. I use it for show. Bad example. Then your pendant. Gerard's grin faded, and he touched the hourglass absently. He sighed, scratching his thin beard. Your night material. I know you know that. But you have to see your training through. You, you, you want adventure? Put Benalish armor on, and it'll come at you tooth and claw. Havero shook his head. So I can fill out battle reports and serve as an honor guard for every Benalish noble with a fat gut but a fatter purse? Sentry duty and parades just don't suit me, Master Gerard. The army's restrictive to a point of strangulation. It's not service, it's servitude. There's got to be something more with the siege breakers. 
Uh, you'd be making a mistake, Gerard said. The Army's as good as it gets, and I should know. I've been out there. I was the first mate on a ship for years. I traveled all over the world. You know what it got me? Dead friends. Bad dreams. I fought as hard as I could, Havero, and I still ended up right here, in servitude to Benalia. I'm not saying you'll be back, but I'm saying you'll wake up somewhere down the road with blood all over your hands, and you probably won't know whose it is, even if it's your own. Standing rigid, Havero smoothed his dusty tunic and said formally, I'd like to be dismissed, Master. He paused and added, I'm sorry. Gerard rose from behind his desk. This is it, then, he thought. Two in one day. All right. I'll dismiss you if that's what you really want. But not without names. I'll protect the Army's honor by keeping you in if I have to, but the door's open and your password out is the names of the soldiers Lord Caston approached. Havero took a deep breath and began to speak, just as Gerard knew he would. Gerard went directly to Commander Ulrich's quarters after Havero left the training yard, and he made his report about Lord Caston. Alaric's chambers, even the dark and dusty entranceway where Gerard waited to get his commander's attention, were immaculate compared to Gerard's. Alaric was pure soldier, efficient, strict, orderly. He'd been in the Benalish military for more than 20 years and had been one of the first officers to test Gerard when he arrived in Benalia after leaving Weatherlight. Gerard had heard him referred to by some of the knights as the first dog of war, and it suited Alaric's character. He carried himself more like a mountain man than a soldier, moving through the streets of Benalia Port as if he were stalking prey. He was curt, opinionated, and firm, and when he talked, his thick steel-gray eyebrows drew together so tightly that his eyes vanished beneath them. Gerard watched those eyebrows furrow as he finished his explanation of the morning's events and the list of the soldiers Lord Caston had approached, according to Havero. Hmm, this could well be running rampant through the military. Alaric grunted, rubbing his mustache. He passed Gerard a bottle of wine he had taken from the cabin and opened just before Gerard's arrival, but Gerard shook his head and put it down on the bare table between them next to his empty glass. It brings us down from within, makes us vulnerable to defectors, spies, all sorts of other elements. Who else knows about this? Just you and I, Gerard said. At least I hope so. What do you want to do, Commander? We could bring Lord Caston in, put some pressure on him to flush out his contacts. Students who've been approached are all the sharpest swords. Lord Caston's getting access to the training yard or the testing reports. Either way, we have a traitor. Caston's an underground assassin. We'd never find him without being led directly to him. Besides, the traitors could easily have been torched in him by the other students. Gerard could tell the commander didn't believe his own words. It would drag some knight out of the secret back alley meetings and would spill blood money from hidden coffers. Only someone in authority could pass reports to the assassins. Watch your students, commander said. See if you can get a sense for what they've been offered. Come see me immediately if you learn anything new. And Caston? I'll personally look into finding Lord Caston, Alark answered ominously. Gerard grinned tightly. What's the saying? Before an assassin learns a murder, he should first learn a suicide? Picking up Gerard's wine glass, Alaric retrieved the Vesuvian wine bottle and poured. He passed the glass to Gerard. No assassin's ever put stock in that thought. Here, Borlean. Best in the domains. No thanks, Gerard said, waving the glass away. My drinking days are long past. Alaric cleared his throat and set Gerard's declined glass on the table before him. <clears throat> in truth, boy, 
Those days are about to catch up with you. The past arrived on a flying ship just after dawn this morning. Your past. Gerard stared at the dark wine for a long moment. When Alaric shifted uncomfortably in his chair, Gerard looked up, brushing his dark hair out of his eyes. And as he did so, Why didn't you tell me this when I first walked in? Because you were wild-eyed about the situation with the assassins? Alaric replied. You didn't want to take the fire out of your belly? You, Gerard, are the banalish military. If any other master-at-arms had learned what you learned today, they'd shrugged it off and gone on about their business. I believe in the army, Gerard said quietly. Yes, and that's where I want your commitment. But I remember the things you said when you first came on to us and signed on. I remember that some passionate commitment in your voice when you spoke of Weatherlight's captain. Sisse, was it? Sisse? If I sounded passionate, it was only because I was angry. Sisse had been keeping secrets from me. People died because of what she alone knew. Lark said gently, And people will die now for what you know. That's the burden of responsibility. Can't just run away from it. Gerard crossed his arms defiantly. You saying that I'll abandon Benalia now because I might be responsible for someone's death? Lark got to his feet and drew himself up to his full and impressive height, any semblance of subtly disappearing as it did so. I'm saying that you turned away from Weatherlight crew when the situation became difficult. They've come looking for you, but you have a duty of honor to the present as well as the past now. This matter of the assassin grows within your very ranks. You're going to be pulled in two different directions, and whatever you choose is honorable and dishonorable at the same time. Gerard stood as well. So you waited to tell me about Weatherlight until after I committed myself to the assassin matter? I have a vested interest in keeping you with us, Alaric admitted. He picked up Gerard's wine glass and held it out to him. Make no apologies for the things I do in the best interests of Benalia. You want that drink now? But Gerard had already turned and passed into the dark entranceway, banging Commander Alaric's door loudly behind him as he departed. He stormed through the streets of the city town, dodging through the open-air market to avoid a patrol of guards whose names and handshakes were known to him. Old friends were both the first and last things on his mind right now. He didn't want to talk to any comrades from the army for fear that he would tip his hand about Lord Caston and the assassins, but he also couldn't stop thinking about Sisse and Weatherlight. What did she want? It's been a long time since he'd leveled his accusations at her and walked off the ship, but a stirring in him made him wonder if maybe it had been too long. The old familiar anger clenched in his belly, the things she had known about his past that he didn't, the things she hadn't told him until one of their own lay dying, the high-handed self-righteousness with which she had detailed his destiny to him, lecturing him about responsibility. These all came back to him now. He could still see the disappointment in her eyes. He could see it in the faces of the others, especially Hannah's. A broken heart bled into the eyes. He'd heard, and Hannah was the only one who had cried for him as he left Weatherlight. The Minotaur was waiting for him in the training yard as Gerard knew he would be. You've grown taller, Tongarth, Gerard called out casually as he let himself in and crossed the sands to the towering Minotaur who had been Sisse's closest ally. So when does puberty end for Minotaurs? I've not grown, Tongarth retorted. You've shrunk. Gerard bent down and picked up Torsten's sword, brushing sand from its oils as he rose. I bet I'm not the only human who rues the day the gods gave gift of speech to cows. He looked up at the Minotaur. Have I mentioned yet that it's good to see you? 
I'm here for a reason, Tongarth said gruffly, tossing his dreadlocks back over his broad brown shoulders. A deep breath erupted as a snort, puffing out his great nostrils. Scissor needs you. Need can be interpreted a dozen different ways. Gerard gestured for Tongarth to follow him. The two of them moved to the south wall of the training yard, the tall minotaur's shadow stretching well beyond Gerard's. At the wall, Gerard knelt and unlocked one of the war chests where he kept the exercise swords. As he fished around inside for the sheath, he said, So which way does Sisse think she needs me now? She is gone, Gerard. She's been taken prisoner to another plane. A place called Wrath. The one who holds her is Volrath, and he means to kill her if we don't act on her behalf now. Damn it, Gerard grunted under his breath. Pulling a battered sheath from the war chest, he pretended to look it over, curled his lip at its condition, put it back, and continued to search. Tongarth said, You know that after you bolted, we continued to seek out the pieces of our legacy? Oh? Gerard pulled another sheath from the chest. Don't you know that hunting for the legacy is the same thing as pinning an archer's target to your forehead? Sooner or later, someone gets killed? And by Toran's horns, Tongarth roared, This time it might be Sisse! Rising, Gerard faced the Minotaur, glaring up at him. Sisse knew the risks better than anyone. Last time, it was where fellows who died. That elf was like kin to me, you know. And when Sisse finally admitted that she tricked me into looking for the legacy... You are the rightful heir to the legacy's power! Tongarth interrupted, shouting over Gerard's protests. She knew what you would not acknowledge, that your destiny lies in wielding the artifacts of the legacy against all the evils that would destroy the world. Those same evils wiped out the clan that reared me, Gerard countered. My adopted father, the sorcerer who trained me, everybody I knew, all for the legacy, a grubby little collection of mismatched artifacts. I walked away from the legacy the first time because it was surrounded by death, and Sisse fooled me into looking for it, for its financial value, the second time. Why would I come back to do it now? Because Sisse needs you, because you walked away from your obligations no matter how noble the reason. Gerard sheathed Torsten's longsword. The fit was tight. That doesn't tell me a thing, Tongarth. I've heard this you-owe-us argument before. You have to do better than that. You owe her! She is your past! Tongarth said. No! Turning away from the Minotaur, Gerard hurled the sword at the war chest with surprising force. It banged loudly against the chest's upraised lid, the sound echoing across the large empty training yard. Even the gods can't undo the past. Whatever I owed her was paid in blood. My clan's blood. Raffello's blood. You've not changed a day, Tongarth charged. You throw things in a tantrum, but your horns are still as blunt as the day you walked away. Gerard said nothing. It's true that Raffellos died because of your choices, the Minotaur continued. He died because you chose to pursue the legacy, your destiny. That's right, Gerard said cynically, and I'm not going to risk anyone that way again. And Sissy will die because of what you choose to do now. You will always find reasons for doing or for not doing. The reason for doing this, Tongard pawed, his throat stiff as he raised his head higher, is because we need you as well. Hannah has reviewed the pieces of the legacy we've collected and says you may be our only hope of using them to reach Sisse in wrath. Do not let her die too. You could not save her fellows, but you are Sisse's only hope. At the mention of Hannah's name, Gerard felt himself soften. He remembered all the time she had spent handling the artifacts as each new piece came aboard, her eyes alive with anticipation as the two of them uncrated some recently acquired relic. 
and I remembered sitting down with her and his friend, Sisse, before the bad times, the three of them sharing wine and discussing the myriad of implications of each artifact's power. Sisse had been his confidant. They had shared moments that none of the others would ever know about, but that he would rather die himself than lose. He sighed. You know this is a trick, don't you, Tungarth? Whoever took Sissy's probably counting on you to drag me kicking and screaming back aboard Weatherlight. You're going to put your hoof right in that trap. And we will all put our hooves in the same trap, and we all walk with the same limp. Gerard considered for a moment. I have a situation here in Benalia. Demands my involvement, too. I, I can't do both. Need overrules choices, Tongarth said simply. Sisse needs you. The afternoon exercises were a blur. Gerard offered a terse and unconvincing story about the absence of both Havero and Torsten, then let the other students leave early. He considered taking aside those he knew had been approached by Lord Caston, but he was unsure of what to say. What price, treason? A soldier's allegiance is to Benalia, and if it's not, why stain its army with your presence? Where does responsibility to oneself end and responsibility to others begin? But that, he knew, was the real question, and he didn't want to ask a question to which he didn't already know the answer. At sunset, he raked the sand, double-checked the war chest locks, and sat in the shadows as the light ran away from the training yard. He turned his hourglass pendant over to watch the sands trickle from the top to bottom. Once, when he was younger, he had thought it novel to count the number of enemies he'd killed. In the middle of the battle, the significance of surviving could easily be overshadowed by the excitement of killing. At first, when there were a few, Gerard remembered every one of them, their last looks of surprise or pain before he sent them to whatever followed life. He became uneasy with the realization that they were people. After all this time, he could still see their faces, hear their cries for mercy. It was too late for any of them, but Sisse's was a cry for help he could still answer. Well after dark, he locked up the training yard and went below to his quarters. The lantern in his entranceway had gone out, and he paused to light it. Fumbling for a moment with his flint in the blackness, I brought you a present, Master Gerard, a voice snarled from the darkness as the flint struck. Gerard turned slowly, the lantern's light rising behind him. His shadow jumped across the entrance walls and into the main quarters where Torsten stood, his throat bandaged with a black circle of cloth, a dagger in one hand. In the other, he held a bloody head by the hair. As the lantern's light reached the skull and the shadows fell away, Gerard could see the earring, speckled still with blood, of arrow. His bulging eyes had been sewn open, frozen in a stare. The stitches through the eyelids looked like small spiders lined across the dead boy's face. Gerard met Torsten's stare coldly, swallowing his rage. Torsten pointed the tip of his dagger at Gerard's chest. He was alive when I did it, Torsten said arrogantly. But I'll spare you that indignity. He tossed Havero's head to Gerard's feet. You've got the ball bearings of a brass man, Gerard answered. His sword was sheathed, but there were weapons all around the chamber. Swords, axes, pole arms. He only needed a moment to reach one. My master at arms, Torsten. You show up here with a dagger. Why don't you come blindfolded, too? Waving the dagger, Torsten advanced. I've been training with assassins, Master Gerard, he said. And assassins only need a dagger when they have poison. He slashed with the dagger, aiming at Gerard's middle. Gerard backpedaled, throwing the lantern for effect and watching for his opening. As Torsten dodged left to avoid the lantern, Gerard dove right, narrowly missing Torsten's backhand cut as Gerard rolled into the main chamber of his quarters. 
He knew better than to come to his feet. Instead, he lunged forward under the table, reaching up under it as he did so to find the dagger he kept secured there. Behind him, Torsten grunted as he swung, cutting to where Gerard's throat would have been had he stood still. Gerard tipped the table as he rose, shoving it hard toward Torsten, who jumped back. In the entranceway, oil splattered when the lantern broke and ignited the curtain that served as door. The room began to heat quickly. You might as well be blindfolded, Gerard said, displaying his own dagger. Because now we're even. Torsten raised his weapon again. Gerard flipped his dagger end for end, caught it by the blade, and threw it at Torsten's sword hand. The knife rolled sideways in flint, then buried itself in the back of Torsten's hand from knuckle to knuckle, instead of from knuckle to wrist. Torsten wailed with surprise and pain as the blade drove through his palm. His own dagger flew from his grip. Instinctively, he reached to catch it with his uninjured hand. The blade sliced neatly across his palm as his hand closed around it. Realization set in as he met Gerard's knowing gaze. Good catch, Gerard said. Torsten began to tremble, dropping the poison dagger and looking wildly around the room. He teetered as if he might fall, shook his head as if to clear it, then scratched absently at the bandages covering his throat wound. Taking a step further into the room, he snatched the elaborate rod from the nearest shelf. He pointed it at Gerard. I remember this, he said thickly, licking his lips, eyelids fluttering erratically. From the first day of training, powerful magic. It's only as good as the hand that wields it, Gerard said. Yes. Torsten seemed to drift away for a moment, swaying on his feet again. Not good. No, Gerard answered. You're dead. Maybe, but I'll take you with me. Torsten pointed the rod and twisted the grip. A magnificent blast of yellow light exploded from its core, roaring out of the barrel and enveloping Gerard. The quarters around them were momentarily bright as day. The rod hummed loudly as it unloaded its magic onto the room. Just as suddenly, the magic went away, leaving the two men standing in the dimness of the chamber as they were before. Gerard smiled. I bet you wish you had gone for a real weapon, he said. Torsten groaned, dropped the null rod, and sank to the floor. His knees drew up to his chin, and he wrapped his arms around them. Gerard kicked the poison dagger away before he knelt next to him. The young man's breathing was quickly becoming ragged. Angry red blotches were already spreading over both of his cheeks. Where's Lord Caston, Torsten? Gerard asked. Know where he hides, where I can find him. Nodding, Torsten stared up at the ceiling. His eyelids had stopped fluttering. Now he stared as blankly as the eyes in Havero's decapitated head. I don't want to die alone. I'll stay with you until you pass, Gerard said softly. But before you go, tell me where Lord Caston is hiding. Commander Ulrich tore a strip of bread from the loaf and passed it across the table to the albino, who accepted it with a gracious but awkward nod. The albino's long white hair whispered over his shoulders as he moved. Despite the late-night shadows dancing all around Ulrich's quarters, the albino seemed to shine as if the feeble light from the lantern set him aglow. No tasters tonight, Lord Caston sighed, smiling. He sniffed the bread. I come ill-prepared. You'll notice I'm not serving the Suvin wine, Alaric said, sharing his guest's smile. Seem to have mislaid my only bottle. Oh, now I remember. It isn't Borlean. It's Vesuvin. Just as well. I've been told it goes down rough. Like poison. Caston's smile faded. Do you think he knew? 
Alaric shook his head and smoothed his gray mustache. He was upset about this weatherlight matter. Simply too distracted to drink. Rubbing his fingers as if they were cold, Kasten said. Better, perhaps, if you had encouraged him to rejoin the ship. Save us this bloody business. Then he would remain a wild card. He could return at any given moment to raise rebellion against the officers. He would, too. He's thick with the knights. They marched against us for certain. It'd be civil war in Benalia. A lark bit off a mouthful of bread, chewed slowly, swallowed. It's better this way, provided your boy's up to the job. It's not the boy who needs to work, just his dagger, Caston answered. With a touch of stealth, we'll get poison to Gerard's heart. One way or another. Gerard stepped out of the darkness of the entranceway and into the lamplight. Alaric choked on his bread. Leaping quickly to his feet, he dashed around the table to stand between Gerard and his albino assassin. Didn't want to disturb your conversation, Commander, Gerard said tightly. Glad I waited. Alaric put his hand on his sword. This is an unfortunate surprise, Alaric admitted. Behind him, Lord Caston rose quietly, turning to face Gerard. This would seem to be a day for them, Gerard agreed. I was seriously considering staying. I figured the Benalish army couldn't be corrupted as long as we were vigilant. But that was before you sent Torsten after me. Alaric darted to look at Lord Caston, the commander's eyebrows knitting in annoyance. Never sent an assassin to do a soldier's work, eh? In your command! What's the difference? Gerard snapped. His hand dropped to his sword hilt as Alaric reached for his own blade. Perhaps, Lord Caston said, his voice barely rising above a whisper as the two men went for their weapons. The time has come for a bargain. Gerard stopped, as did Alaric. A command position of your own, the albino suggested. He looked to Alaric for support, who nodded curtly. You work closely with the soldiers. Even without reports, you know who has talent. There's always gold, Alaric added. How much gold? Gerard asked. He moved into the room, putting the table between them. He stopped near Alaric's cabinets. Name a figure, Alaric said. There are conditions. Lord Caston began to speak, but Alaric cut him off. Name them! You have us by the sword buckle. What do you want? First, no more assassins are recruited from my ranks. I don't care what the other masters-at-arms do, but nobody gets drafted out from under me. Gerard waited for both men to nod before continuing. Second, you clean house among the officers. Lord Caston recruits from without, not from within. Caston grimaced, but Alaric said, It'll be difficult, but if it buys your silence, and so be it. Well, then, Gerard said, opening the cabinet and reaching inside. That just leaves one more thing. Let's drink to our newfound alliance. He put the bottle of Vesuvian wine and two glasses on the table. After you, gentlemen, he said, grinning. Should I be thinking of a toast or maybe an epitaph? Should have known you would have done this a hard way, Alaric said, drawing his sword. You're a bastard, Gerard, and a stupid one at that. We're two against one. I've no doubt you can take one of us, but the other will gut you. Gerard drew his own blade. I brought a guest. The Minotaur had to bend to get through the door, but he rose to his full height once within the main chamber. He hefted his own two blades expertly, crossing them. Tongarth snarled something in the language of the tall room Minotaurs, and his lips frothed with his fury. Gerard gestured at Lord Caston. If he moves, cut him down. The knights should be here any time now. They'll deal with him if he's still alive. The albino stared up at Tongarth, taking in the Minotaur's broad, muscular chest and furious stare, then quietly sat down at the table. You summon our knights, 
Alaric asked. Gerard nodded. When Torsten told me where to find Lord Caston, thought it might be a good idea to make sure he ended up in the proper hands. In mine, he'd probably end up dead. Alaric turned his sword over in his hands, glaring at Gerard while he did. You've killed me, boy. When the knights arrive, my career ends. Twenty-two years in the Benomish military, ground under your boot. Your own boot, I would say, Gerard mused. You're my friend once, though, Commander, so... Here. He slid the bottle of Vesuvian wine toward Alaric. I'll say it was Lord Caston's doing. You'll die with some semblance of honor. Alaric stared at him, then down again at his sword. I fight my way out. They'll still figure out what you've done, Gerard finished. He pointed at Tongarth. You have only his silence if I'm alive. Cutting your way out of this won't save you unless you think you can kill both of us. I'd bet on us, if I were a gambling man. Slowly, Alaric put his sword down on the table. Reaching for one of the glasses with a firm hand, he then poured the dark Vesuvian wine into the glass. Before you practice murder, Gerard said as Alaric lifted the glass to his lips, you should first learn of suicide. Commander Alaric nodded. A hard lesson learned, boy. He drank quickly. They had gathered for Captain Gerard on Weatherlight's deck, 30 sailors strong in the morning's first light. Tongarth introduced him to those who had joined since his departure, many of whom had already heard of his exploits. Gerard accepted their compliments as well as their uncomfortable stares. For every one of them who thought him a hero, he knew there was one who had thought him a coward. It was entirely up to him to change their minds. At the end of the line, he bent to greet Squee, the goblin cabin boy who had been so enamored of Sisse when he first came aboard. The goblin shook his hand awkwardly, then hid nervously behind Tongarth's knees. Gerard looked up into the Minotaur's unreadable eyes. "'Your first mate, Tongarth,' he said. "'Again?' Tongarth snorted. "'I was a first mate. For the captain's record, I was captain from Sissy's abduction until this moment.' Gerard grinned. Two steps up, one step back. Don't feel too alone. You and I'll both get demoted when we get Sissy back.' The Minotaur bowed his head for a moment, closing his eyes as if in prayer. He let out a great breath through his nostrils, shaking his nose ring. I've been afraid to say when. I'll tell her you said so, Gerard said, moving on. When she comes up that gangplank. Finally, he came to the last crew member. The two stood uncomfortably facing one another while Tongarth and the others drifted to their stations to prepare for sailing. Hannah smoothed her blonde hair behind each ear, adjusted the various tools on her work belt, and shuffled her feet once. She's still beautiful, Gerard thought. He looked out at the sails, let his eyes follow the goblin across the deck, and listened to the sounds of port life drifting to the ship from Benalia. Finally, he said, I missed you, Hannah. She half smiled, then caught herself and straightened her expression. Welcome back aboard. Thanks. He paused, wondering what he could say that would change things. Instead, he said, Tonga tells me I'm going to need a wizard to get to Wrath? When she nodded, he added, he also tells me you know someone who can help us? In Talaria, she said. I can navigate us there. So why did you decide to come back, Gerard? She suddenly blurted. Let's face it, you've been running away from the legacy since the day you first learned of it. Never really meant anything to you, did it? You're right. Doesn't mean a thing to me, Gerard said softly. If it gets me what I want, or what I know is right, I'll use it. But if it doesn't, I'll forget about it. We can just toss it over the side when we reach Wrath. I'm back for you, for Tongarth, and the rest of the crew. 
Most important, I'm back for Sisse. Well, Hannah said, bemused. She cocked her head as Tongarth shouted her name from the foredeck. Benalia made an adult out of you despite yourself, I see. There's a bloody battle, Gerard said, grinning. One of us had to lose. The anchor beckons, Captain. As she turned away, Hannah gestured to the necklace dangling from his throat and the object at the end of the chain. What happened to the hourglass he used to wear? Gerard's grin faded. He held up the blood-flecked gold earring, looking at Hannah through its circle. I'm leaving it behind, he said solemnly. This is just about as valuable, I think. The ship set sail for Talaria. Here ends the tale of Gerard. A dark room. The master stretched, shook himself. Talking for a long time tired him more than he remembered. With almost a start, he realized how old he was. How much longer did he have left? A few years? A few months? Perhaps less. At his feet, Ilcaster sat, staring at the master with shining eyes. The boy did not seem tired at all, the librarian noted, and his face no longer seemed frightened and sorrowful. The shadows in the room were still thick, pregnant with menace, and the storm raged outside. But within the little yellow circle of candlelight, all seemed safe. Perhaps this was the way to conquer fear, the old man reflected, to take refuge in stories of brave deeds from another age. Perhaps, he thought, this is why we still tell ourselves these stories, even if we no longer entirely believe them because they are a reminder to us that memory goes on even longer after we're dead. Did they have an easy time finding Talaria? Ilcaster's question broke in abruptly upon the librarian's thoughts. Hardly that, the master shook his head sadly. Nothing about their voyage was easy, and throughout all their troubles they remembered Sisse in the clutches of Volrath and could only imagine what torture she might be suffering. Their first stop, though, was not in Talaria, but in Lanawar. I remember Lanawar, the boy said eagerly. That's where, what's her name was from? The master looked at him blankly. You know, the cat person. Ah, yes. Miri. She was not, in fact, from Lanawar, but Miri had gone there after she and Gerard parted, but now Weatherlight's captain needed the help of an old friend. How did he persuade her to come with him? With difficulty. During the journey, Gerard settled somewhat uncomfortably into Sissy's cabin. He used the time to examine the journal of his former captain and shipmate, and as well as the Thran tome which he received from Hannah. From these documents, he realized for the first time the importance of weatherlight. He also discovered a spell that could overcome the effects of the touchstone, a device used to immobilize Karn, though the value of this was not immediately clear to him. Gerard wandered around the ship, renewing his acquaintances with its features. Making his way through the hold, he saw pieces of the legacy Sisse had collected in the time after he had left Weatherlight. Then, to his utter amazement, he came upon a silent, motionless figure standing upright, shining in the dim light. Karn. Using the spell from the Thran Tome, Gerard reactivated his old friend and guardian. Though Karn had stood motionless for years, his mind had frozen at the precise moment of his deactivation. He was in anguish at the thought of having been 
responsible for the death of an innocent. Brokenly, he told Gerard of his resolution to never again take a life. Just a minute, interrupted the boy, skepticism in his tone. You mean Karn would never take a life, even if somebody was threatening to destroy him? The librarian nodded. What about if someone was threatening to kill Gerard? Good question, boy. Glad you're paying attention. Point of fact, it was the very question Gerard himself asked. The Gollum thought long and hard, but in the end he replied that his decision was absolute. Even Gerard's fate could not overcome his choice. He would never knowingly take a life, not merely a human life, but the life of any creature. Hillcaster considered, chin in hand. I think that was a mistake, he said at last. I mean, I don't think he should have gone around killing people, but everybody has to defend themselves if they're being attacked. The master shrugged. It was, nonetheless, his decision. And Gerard was so overjoyed to see the golem that he did not, perhaps, fully understand what a profound change had come over his old protector. He greeted him joyfully and introduced him to the rest of the crew. And all this time, while Gerard renewed his friendship with the Silver Golem, his familiarity with the flying ship, Weatherlight steadily drew closer to Lanawar.